Welcome to the Bold Goal Crusher podcast for anyone looking to stop letting life get in the way and start crushing bold goals. I'm your host, Sarah Mayer, and I'm thrilled to navigate this journey with you because it's time to start boldly achieving without working double time. So let's dive in. Hello, Bold Goal Crushers. Today, uh, we have a super exciting book for our book club series and one of my favorite people and guests, Kenyatta Turner. And Kenyatta is a behavioral superpowers coach, speaker, author, master trainer, and a radio podcast host. She's the founder and CEO of Freedom Empire Consulting, where they coach, influence, and protect their clients by helping them build and shield their own freedom empires. Kenyatta is also co-founder and chief behavioral superpowers officer. That's a great title of (laughs) Dream Smart Behavioral Solutions, a behavioral science technology firm that delivers real-time scientifically validated behavioral insights, which influence human resources, education, coaching, training, mentoring, business strategy, behavioral behavioral variability, decision-making, and service offerings for individuals, families, and organizations around the world. And today in the book club series, we are discussing the book Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill, which is annotated by Sharon Lecter. Kenyatta, I'm super excited to have you on the show and to dive into this book. For those of you watching the video, you can see I have tabbed it up and have lots of notes inside. So excited to have you to talk about this great book. Sarah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much. I love this book, obviously, and I love any chance to talk with you about whatever you're talking about, but I'm glad we're talking about this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you actually put me on to this book. I've read other Napoleon Hill books. Obviously, I've read Sharon's book as well. And um, Three Feet from Gold, I think, is the Mm -hmm. last book I read. And you put me on to this last time we chatted. And I want to thank you because this was a great, unexpected read. I at first mm. wasn't sure what you were getting me into, but definitely <laughs> a good uh, recommendation. I'm glad that you, you, you liked it. And uh, and it was probably a, that it was a nice surprise because the name Outwitting the Devil is it's it's interesting, right? You don't know yeah. really what to expect. And uh, the way it's done is, is is extremely well. And I'm glad you enjoyed it. And it's not too long of a book either. So you know, I know you were some of yours that you do for this thing, or I saw some of them. They're like some big books, you know? So yeah. this was probably, you probably read this in one night, I'm guessing. <laughs> uh, not quite, because uh, this one really is a is a deep read. I had to take a lot of notes and really digest it and then think about it in not only my life, but also the, the history and historic times that we're in. Right. And so it was a really interesting book. And so why don't you start off by telling us, because I know you'll remember the story of how this came about and why this was published mm-hmm. so late, because it was published after Napoleon Hill died. Yes, after he died and after his wife died. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the content in this book is ahead of its time mm-hmm. and is relevant, I think, in any period in, in history, in the past and in the future. I think 100 years from now, this book will be just as um, relevant because of the content of it and human nature and how we are wired and what we do. And I think that the things in this book really, and like you said, it's deep mm-hmm. and it don't it doesn't play. Like this book's not for the faint of heart. Mm-hmm. I, I say it like that. And uh, some of the things that it talks about in here, I believe that Napoleon Hill's wife, when she read it, um, she was afraid. I think she was afraid of him publishing the book and what society, what the government, what school systems and churches, how he may be perceived or ostracized by putting this type of information out there because it is so controversial, even though it was totally true. And uh, she said, you cannot publish this uh, ever, especially mm-hmm. while I'm alive. He died and she didn't let it be published. And it wasn't published until after she died 70 years later. Yeah. So ultimately, 
um, it, it, it may not have ever been released, right? Depending, I mean, think about that. A manuscript that your wife says to you, you cannot publish that book. That makes you think, well, what's in here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, you think about books that have been banned and burned in the past. It's like, well, what, what was in those that books? That makes me want to read it more. Yes. It's like, what are you trying to keep away from me that you yeah. would ban public, ban or not uh, publish or burn a book? What does that book teach you? That's because what it tells you is probably it's truth and yeah. not everyone wants the truth. What is that line from that one movie? You can't handle the truth. Yeah. I don't know who says that, but what, what movie is that? I don't know. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. So this was actually, he wrote this shortly uh, in 1938, just after publishing Think and Grow Rich. And right. this really is a book about him decoding his secrets and confessing, you know, that he had, I'll use a common day term, a lot of mindset challenges that he mm. needed to go over. Yes. And what's really interesting about this book is it isn't, it doesn't read like a how to like, okay, I struggled with this and here's how I dealt with it. He actually interviews the devil yes. in this book. Yes, which is really exciting when you think about it. And and even if if you're listening to this now, you're like, what do you mean he interviews the devil? Like, how does he do that? Well, of course, you got to read it to find out. And you got to make a determination about who or what is the devil? What did he speaking to? But the book is really cool because it's done in the sense of a conversation. Yeah. And like you said, it's not just instructions. It's like me talking to you right now. I would ask you a question, Sarah, and you would answer my question. And that is really, really cool way to, to, to tell a story and to teach at the same time. I mean, he was extremely clever in how he did it and it's, it's chilling. It, mm -hmm. it literally is a chilling conversation that he's having with the devil. And I think there's a point in here, as we mentioned, it's annotated by Sharon Lecter. And so she has some notes to bring it up to speed and common, uh, common language. Mm -hmm. It's not like one of those old books. That's like thou shall not, it's not like that, right. but, um, right. But she made a comment whether this was a conversation in his head that he really mm. thought he was having with the devil or not. The conversation brings up so many things that everyone's going through, but really dives into what stops us from moving forward and getting things done. And I think mm -hmm. that was really interesting is she said the fact that it wasn't published until after his wife died, was that the devil's work working on her saying you're not allowed to publish this? Because in the interview, the devil says a couple of times, I don't think you'll have the courage to publish this. He, he said, he's like, I don't think you'll have the courage. And he even outlines what would happen if he did. Yeah. How the devil's minions would come after him for having doing so because they don't want this information out as well. So yeah. can you imagine? And, you know, this is so I get chills literally thinking about yeah. this because the devil is literally saying, hey, look, if you publish this, it ain't going to be good for you. Yep. Right. And here's the reasons why. And then so Napoleon shares the manuscript with his wife and she reads it and she's like, hey. The devil just said, you know, yeah. you wrote this. I mean, so can you imagine? I I sat there thinking, wow, how if whatever, figuratively or otherwise, is the devil like in her brain going, uh-uh, you're not going to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. Like she became, in my mind, one of the devil's minions. Yeah. You know, who yep. who helped that, you know, you can make your own assumption, but hey, she said don't do it. And he agreed. So yeah. what what who what what was the driving force behind that? <laughs> You what know? really was the devil's work in this situation? It, right. And, for, and it's yeah. so interesting that Sharon gets given this manuscript all these years later. And it's so you know cool. All she talks about, she was given it and it was one of the best manuscripts she's ever wrote. But the the responsibility to, you know, to annotate it. And she said that she did it almost word for word. Like she didn't change really anything that she didn't really need to. Um, mm -hmm. And I love that she kept it in that form, you know, yeah. as well, because it was perfection as it was. But it's... um. It's the kind of book that I, I really think that is, if you read it and pay attention, that it will shake you. Mm -hmm. It will, it will, you will be shook after yeah. reading a book like this. And I can only imagine what might it have been if it was put out back then? Mm -hmm. Like what kind of world will we be in today if people had access to the things that he talks about in here? We'll never know. Yeah. Now we can affect the future with this information. It was only pub published in 2011. That's not that long ago. 
Yeah. And, you know, I find it really interesting when it was published because we had, you know, this was written shortly at or around the Great Depression. And then it comes out in 2011, shortly after the 2008 crash. But Mm -hmm. we're reading it right now in 2020 with a recession coming. I don't even know if we're in it. They've been talking about it forever. We're probably in it right now, but or it's still coming. But there are so many things in this book, even in the notes that Sharon put in that it's like, oh, this is relevant right now. Right. And I think that (laughs) that is always going to be the same. So I do want to read one quote before we jump into some of the principles. Sure. And this is from the very first page. Mm. And I find it interesting. He talks about fear. So he says, it's a quote, uh, fear is the tool of a man-made devil. Self-confident faith in oneself is both the man-made weapon, which defeats this devil and the man-made tool, which builds a triumphant life. And it's more than just that. It's a link to the irresistible forces of the universe, which stand behind a man who does not believe in failure and defeats as being anything but temporary experiences. Mm. Anything but temporary experiences. Mm. And and I think that there's so much in this book about fear, right? And, yes. and it's a thing that we talk about a lot today in today's times. I mean, again, this is relevant no matter when or what is happening, right? Mm-hmm. And I also believe he talks, he talks in here a lot about faith as well. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that fear and faith cannot live in the same space. Mm-hmm. It's like you got to give up one, right? Mm-hmm. You can't literally be afraid and also have faith that it's going to mm-hmm. work out. You've got to, you've got to give up one, right? And I feel like courage is that fine line. Yeah. Like you can be in fear of something and then you have to be courageous enough to have faith mm-hmm. and then let the fear go and go, okay, this is going to work out. Or yes, I will be okay. Or I might win or would it, and if, even if I didn't, it's still going to be successful. Like all those things we have to tell ourselves. Right. And then realizing that even if I didn't succeed in that moment, mm-hmm. well, that's just temporary. Yeah. yeah. I can, I have faith that I can try again. And it'll work this time, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of lessons in the beginning about fear. And he talks about um, how he was run out of a a city. And I think he ended up in like Virginia or West Virginia or somewhere Mm -hmm. with his, a relative. Yeah. And it was basically an emergency. He called it this emergency that he faced and uh, it took him away from his calling. He had been called to write another book after studying successful and unsuccessful people and he would get started and then he wouldn't finish. And Mm -hmm. he, he says here that he was slipping into a state of um, where he was not able to move forward. And he says the emergency I faced and emergency is in quotes because it was an emergency at first, but then it long passed. Right. Um, right. But he said it was disastrous in two ways. First, the very nature of it kept me in a constant state of indecision and fear. And secondly, the forced concealment, because he was concealed away, kept mm-hmm. me in idleness with its attendant heaven, uh, having heaviness of time, which I devoted to worry. So basically, that to me is just like quarantine. We're stuck in quarantine. (laughs) And then um, he basically was like indecision, had indecision and fear and like just worried. But then once the emergency was gone, he wasn't able to get past that quickly. Right. Yes. He was still hanging on to the yeah. quote unquote emergency, <laughs> you know, yeah. he was, or the, the after effects of it, right. Not realizing that he was now could be free if, yeah. if he chose to be, he had to get out of his own head and continue on with life. Right. Yeah. And you're absolutely right about that. When we think about the quarantine, cause how many of us in the world are still in that state and it's yep. now 2020, right. And 2022 so, or 20, yeah, 2022. Yeah. Two years <laughs> you know? ago. And then, and then the idea of the emergency isn't as such as it, was right but again we could still hang on to that and in that state of indecision and Mm -hmm. um uncertainty about our lives and what we want to do with them and think about how there's other emergencies quote unquote 
that aren't like what he went through or even like a pandemic. They're emergencies like, let's say, um, I lost my job. I, I lost my job. Yes. A family member got ill. I had to take care of them. Um, my car uh, broke down. Car you broke know. down. You know, those are the exact kind mm-hmm. of things that can um, paralyze us and have us second guessing what it is that we were doing before or now we're like, oh, well, I have to take care of this. Yeah. So I'm not going to continue to work on my business or go, what I got to drop out of school now, whatever. Yeah. The devil's work. Yep. And he <laughs> says he was rapidly becoming indifferent, not only towards himself, which I think that is huge in itself, but worse towards the people who were helping him out. And <laughs> he was living in their house. Yes. And this very sentence said, I realized I faced the greatest emergency of my life because he's stuck. Because he's stuck. Mm -hmm. He's stuck. And I I love, I love how he has that sense of transparency because he he lays out what all of us have dealt with at some point Mm -hmm. and we'll deal with again in the future. Right. The first time Mm -hmm. I read this book was 2018. Pandemic hadn't even happened yet. Yeah. So when, but other enough, other things had where I'm like, oh my God, this book is for today. Because yep. literally, it's always going to be for today. Yes. <laughs> then the pandemic happened, and I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> so it's wild. It's like, oh my god, how did he pre- he predicted that? No, he just knows that these things are continuously always going to come up and going to happen. But I love how he also says in here that, you know, and for those of you who are listening who don't know, Napoleon Hill wrote a book called Think and Grow Rich. Mm-hmm. Um, look that up. Phenomenal book, right? But this book gives some insight into his mindset before he wrote that book, mm-hmm. and fact that he almost didn't write the book yeah because of the things that we just now talked about this paralyzation that he was in almost prevented him from writing the that book which is my opinion all other uh, personal development self-development books that are written today are are somehow tied to yeah. the things that he talked about in that book in some way or another they're all saying the same thing mm-hmm. but in a different way and this this book to me explains why yeah it's yeah. almost like the devil in my opinion gave him what told him what to write and think and grow rich you yeah so exactly <laughs> yeah and i think one of the cool parts about it is you know, it's so relevant, but it, it goes back to being very deep, like think and grow rich. Wasn't about like what stocks to invest in or how to, you know, anything like that. It was how to get yourself, your mind, right. In a place where you actually have the mentality of thinking and growing rich and, and building that into your mindset. Yep. And not just monetarily rich, yeah. riches in whatever it is that riches are to you, health and yeah. spirituality and family and relationships. It's really about a book about achievement. Like yeah. do you have a goal. Do you know what yeah. you want? Well, here's the steps to get it, you know? And in this book, I think the devil's really talking about, well, hey, here's how I stop you from getting it. Mm-hmm. This yep. is what I do to you to stop you. This from is getting the manuscript. This is the playbook right here. Yeah. He, he's like, here's what I'm going to do to you. And you're yep. going to fall for all my tricks. Yep. <laughs> and I yep. know when I read this book, and I don't know if you felt like this, Sarah, during some of this parts, I was livid. Yeah. <laughs> like there's parts in here where I'm just all, oh, the devil. Oh, and I'm yeah. angry because I, I've fallen for those tricks. Mm-hmm. And, and and probably will today later on, you know? Yeah. And so it, it, it infuriated me in such a way where I was like, ooh, you ain't going to get me, devil. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's so um, brazen about it. He's so like he's cocky about it. He's he's just like, "Mm -hmm. this is what I do. And you're going to fall for it in 10 minutes. And like 90. Didn't he say like 92, 92 of every 98 of every 100 people he can get. And one of the things in the book that he talks about is he tries really hard to get into children's minds because once he's Mm -hmm. in their minds. It's over. And what was interesting about this is Napoleon Hill being ahead of his time is the devil talked a lot about cigarettes. Well, way back then, they weren't talking about cigarettes being bad or anything like that for Hmm. you. And children were smoking cigarettes and it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) I mean, but 
thinking back about that, like, was were we just burying our heads in the sand or what? But uh, anyway, he talks yeah. about cigarettes and he's like, I get them hooked on cigarettes and then yep. they want more. And then yep. that's the gateway into their mind. And then I can start getting them hooked on alcohol and then sex and then this and all of it, all of it. And then food. If they don't like cigarettes, I'll get them hooked on food. Yep. I mean, he laid it out. I mean, again, it's infuriating almost. Yeah. And then to mm-hmm. think back that he wrote this so long ago, mm-hmm. you have to sit back and go, okay. Yeah. What forces are actually at work here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. To give him this type of information so long ago, again, especially about cigarettes at a time when everyone was smoking cigarettes. They and were no smoking one... them in the doctor's office while they're treating patients. Yeah. But Napoleon... Yeah. Well, the devil told him that, huh, yeah, you guys think that's cool? That's my trick. Have fun with that. Yeah. But nothing changed, right? Mm -hmm. Cigarettes only became bad, you know, a few years ago, really, Mm -hmm. when when all of a sudden they realized they were spraying them with a bunch of stuff. Someone found out they were getting sprayed with stuff, you know, that made them, people were addicted to it more. But even still, I don't see any any less cigarettes around, you know? (laughs) No, you just get taxed more. Just get taxed more. And I smoked them myself. I started smoking when I was eight years old, you know, and I smoked till I was 21. So I, I smoked them too, right? So I thought that was very interesting too, that he talked about something that back then was very popular and no one was really saying it was bad, but but the devil knew it was bad and mm-hmm. informed Napoleon Hill. Again, this book was not released. Yep. So what if it was released back when he wrote it? Would, oh. would cigarettes be a different thing today? Who knows? Who knows? But the devil was like, you ain't going to print this. Yep. And people are going to keep smoking. <laughs> That's exactly yep. what happened. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, back to his little story a little bit, he had done a lot of research on successful people. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he learned is that um, this emergency, this it originally was a true emergency. Someone was going to kill him, but yeah. um, <laughs> it allowed him to test this claim that he had made hundreds of times. Yes, And that's every adversity brings with it the seed of an equivalent advantage. Opportunity. Yeah. Advantage and opportunity. opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I love that quote. It's pro it's profound. Every adversity, yeah. there's an equivalent seed of equi- equivalent meaning. Yeah. The size of the adversity, there is the same size of an opportunity or an advantage, Yep. but only the seed, which has to be planted, which has to be watered, which has to be Mm -hmm. weeded and has to get love and care and sun and all the things to grow into the flower that could equal what as big as that emergency was or as small or that adversity. And again, if you sit back and just think about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. It, it almost hurts the brain to think about that and and actually accept that because if you're listening to this now and you're thinking whoa 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 no I've had troubles and I've had adversities and what are you trying to tell me that there was an advantage and an opportunity there equal you don't know to that me. equal yeah you don't know me mm-hmm. you don't know what I went through you don't know how difficult well that's just the devil in my opinion talking to you telling you that there isn't that but he the devil knows there is right mm-hmm. so and he because and he, he gave it away and that's yep. him if you don't believe it it's because you have fear yep. of what you are capable of. Mm-hmm. And therefore you, you don't want to go there. There's a, a line in here where he talks about how people, how men still consider themselves like worms in the dust. <laughs> yeah. When we yeah. have the most, when we are the, our brains are the most powerful thing in this universe, but we, we can't accept that. Because yeah. we fear what that would mean if we truly understood it. But then we don't want to handle the responsibility. Yep. Of actually um, using our brains to that capacity because we're afraid. Yep. What if we do it and it works? And what if we don't and we fail? Yep. And the devil's like, yep, keep keep being afraid. And you he know? says one of his cleverest devices for mind control is fear. And there's six that are the most effective. Mm, uh, they're the, the fear, basic. fear of poverty, yep. criticism, ill health, loss mm. of love, old age, and death. And death. And he said the first and last poverty and death are the ones that he uses the most. And, and poverty is the number one when they're mm-hmm. listed in 
in the, in the way of, of how often they show up, right? Yep. That's something that we don't even think about, um, but we think about it all the time. You yep. know, people, we, we're so afraid of it that we will do bad things to people to get it, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, money to, you know, to avoid it, right? Yeah. Uh, to get money, you know, we, we, we're so afraid of it that there'll be times and places where people who get riches and wealth through ill-gotten gains, we will celebrate them and yep. revere them like gang leaders and the mafia and stuff like that. Like think about the people who follow along with them. They yeah. know they did bad stuff to do that, but it doesn't matter because they have wealth and they're not poor. Yeah. So it's like that reverence of putting it on, even if you, even if you do bad things in order to avoid poverty, some people look at that, like that's okay because at least I'm not poor. Yeah. You and know? you know, what's interesting. I, I grew up in Chicago and you know, we, everybody knows Al Capone. And people would say, well, he didn't actually do that. It was his people. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cause that makes it so much better. I mean, now people, giving him a pass. On, right. people, yeah, people go on crime tours to visit his cemetery and all these things. And, you know, that was not, you know, not good times. That was not cool. <laughs> but, but, but yeah. again, that fear of poverty drives us to revere the not being in poverty, no matter what, at what yeah. cost, it doesn't matter. At least he made it. At, le- at least, exactly. At least, at he, least made he made it. Right. Yeah. And so that's huge. But I want to go back to the, the children for a second here, because this is, yeah. this freaked me out. Like it freaked me, especially, you know, with our, my company, Dream Smart Academy, we, um, one of our goals, we will have our own charter school and mm-hmm. we will, it'll be a behaviorally based school. And I already know some of the conversations that we've had about why we want to have our own charter school and what kind of things we would teach and why are, are in alignment with some of the things here in this book. I didn't realize that until like one day I was reading the book and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We were just talking about something like this over here. We were, we were in a, yeah. you know, on this path. And so th- there's a section in here where he literally, you know, Napoleon says, Hey, what should we be teaching kids then to keep them out of your grip? Yeah. And, and the devil's like, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> Cause he's like, you're making me tell all my secrets. Right. But he gives a very extensive list. Mm-hmm. Those of you who are watching this, he gives a list and I encourage you. It's like get five pages, I think. Isn't yeah. It? Read this list. Yeah. Honestly, and ask yourself, do you agree with what he puts in that list or not? And think about yeah. what you were taught in school. Think about what your children are being taught in school right now, mm-hmm. this minute, and think about what they're not being taught in school. And yeah, are you teaching that to them? Yeah. Like think about what they're not being taught and ask yourself, am I, te- if I'm not, if they're not getting taught that in school, am I teaching them this in school at home? Yeah, I, I I double triple dog dare you to do that honestly with yourself because and, again and, the book was not published and it should have been and and beyond the subject matter people will say well I wasn't taught finance in school it's it's beyond that one of the things that he talks about in this book is we teach kids to sit down to shut up to the teachers the authority yes. they're yep. always right they you know blah pass blah blah the blah, test. blah pass the yeah. test memorize the thing <laughs> memorize the thing and don't think for yourself mm-hmm. and and to sit in the you know and don't it definitely don't be speaking out about anything don't yeah. question the teacher because this is the law at this point um and imagine what happens where you are put in a position like no one wants to fail no one wants mm-hmm. to be called out because they got a bad grade you know no one wants to do whatever so they realize that as soon as they start um holding up their hand and asking a question or saying something and then the teacher's like ah, ah, ah. Mm-hmm. then it starts putting them in this you know um mm-hmm. regression of their thought their mindfulness and their creativity i always also speak about um when i teach college students i'll ask them why is it that i have to teach you how to ask questions again yeah because they'll sit right there and look at you and not say adults. They won't ask one question. But think about when you were a child before you got taught not Why? to ask questions. Why? 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 How come? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And you didn't care who said it. You or you didn't care how many times you were told the answer. You didn't care who you asked the question until you get into school. Mm-hmm. And then you have to raise your hand to ask a question, which you don't have to do at home, by the way. So yeah. all of a sudden now you realize you got to ask permission to ask a question. And then everyone in the class looks at you and they're like, what are you asking questions for? Kids are mean. They start torturing. I just want to go home. <laughs> I just want to go home. God, you know. And so you start getting taught at a very young age that there's a time and a place to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And don't do it outside of that time and place. 
And by mm-hmm. God, don't let it be what might be considered a dumb question, mm-hmm. you know? And so now you're a college student or you're an adult and now you don't ask questions because we've conditioned you not to. He was talking about that in here. And you're absolutely yeah. right. That the idea of like, let's just keep them all in one little box and let's not let them think outside of that box. Stay in your Zoom square. <laughs> in your little Zoom square, because ultimately we like we can't have you having all this free thought, mm-hmm. you know, because ultimately you're going to go against our system. And he saw it for what it was. Again, his wife read this and she's like, oh, no, honey, you are not going to get our house house burned down by printing this. (laughs) Yeah. And he talks about the church the same way. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, my my dad was very um, he said things probably over my age. Uh, I got to memorize some really sophisticated long quotes and at first I, one of them was excuses are tools of incompetence that build monuments of nothingness and mm. those that use them seldom amount to anything more which basically meant Not, excuses are bridges to failure and mm-hmm. i later told them in high school why didn't we just say that um, <laughs> but back to this thought thing and it reminded me of my dad when i was reading it because all too often adults and sibling, everybody actually will correct people. Like someone will say something and maybe it's not right, or maybe it's not fact, maybe it's false news and people will immediately correct somebody, but nobody Mm. sets out on their day and says, how am I like when they say something like they think they are correct. Mm-hmm. Like nobody mm-hmm. is like, hey, I'm going to go spread some false news. Well, maybe there are some people. Who do uh, that. Yeah, it's probably a few. <laughs> but one of the things my dad used to always ask me is, how do you know what you know? Think about that. How do you know what you know? Mm-hmm. That's a deep statement. Yes. And why do you think what you think? Mm. And I remember very vividly, I had come home from school one day. And I said the president at the time was, and I use the term, an idiot. Okay. And my dad didn't say, no, he's not an idiot, you know, whatever. He said, how do you know what you know? And I said, mm. well, he decided to do this and blah, 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 blah. And I went on a whole thing. And I don't remember what the case was. And then he said, so why do you think what you think? And I said, well only an idiot would make that decision. Mm. My dad said, well, you're entitled to your opinion. And that was that. But instead of telling me, no, he's not, or this and correcting me and shutting me down, he wanted to know why I thought what I thought and um, how I knew what I knew and why I thought what I thought. And then he said, don't Don't use the term idiot again. (laughs) It's not a good, it's not a good way to refer to somebody, but I think so many times we just shut people down and don't really get into why, how they know that. Did they learn that from somebody? Right. And why they think it. And what I love about that, Sarah, too, is because in that, in that conversation with him, it inspired you to really think about Mm -hmm. why you, why you said that about that guy. You yeah. know what I mean? That guy, the president, whatever, you know, like it it had you kind of going like you didn't, you didn't get to just make this blanket statement. Yeah, like, oh, like he's, I'm out of here. Idiot, you know, without any thought, because that's what people do, right? There's like, ah, yeah. you know, and it's like, but if you ask them really, well, why do you know that? How do you know what you know? And what do you, why do you think what you think? I love that. And I'm yeah. totally thanking your dad for that because I will be using that, okay? Yep. And asking myself those questions about things. You know, one of the things I always say is think about your thinking. Yeah. You know, which is kind of the same thing about why do you think what you think? Like, think about your thinking and what the power is behind that. And he encouraged you to do that. And again, then he could say, well, calling someone an idiot is probably not the nicest thing to do. However, you seem to have yeah. a, you seem <laughs> to have thought about the reason why you said it. So yeah. it's not like this shallow thing you just threw out. No, you put some thought behind it through his conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. Very, very powerful. I love that. Um, yeah. Love that.
If you are interested in learning more about behavioral superpowers, this behavioral exercise that can help people understand who they are, why they are, and why they show up in the world the way they do, maybe you want to use this in your own business or you want to teach others, then I also offer certification courses where I train you to be a behavioral superpowers coach, where you understand the tool, you understand yourself, and you can help others understand themselves. So that's a great way to bring this into your business, your organization, where you're actually doing the coaching and you can impact people's lives and help them have a behavioral awakening, I like to call it. So this is with Freedom Empire Consulting and Dream Smart Academy. Uh, there was one other thing I was going to mention about the 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 children really quick. And I can't think of, um, oh, the churches and the children. Oh, the idea that in this book, you guys listening, the, 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 when the devil is speaking about children and how he starts with them and how easy it is. But he says, I use their parents. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the, and the, and school, and the teachers, teachers and the and church their, and their church, you know, um, mm -hmm. pastors to get the children for me. So yeah. it is, he doesn't always go into the children. He goes with the, he has the parents do his work <laughs> to get to the children because he says the adults are the ones who plant the fear of the devil in the mm -hmm. child or the heart of the child. And so it obviously, right. If we're talking about religion. It depends on what religion you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And it depends on what you think about life after death. Hence why death is one of the six fears, because what you think about that, he says, is going to help him figure out how to terrify you while you're alive. Yeah. And back, <laughs> and back to that example, like he could have used my dad to say, you're not allowed to say that about the president of the United States. Yes. Go to your room. And yes. what does that tell me is I'm not allowed to have an opinion. Right. I'm not allowed to speak nope. ill of other nope. people. Nope. I'm not allowed to accuse people of things that maybe are not doing the right thing. Um, and that's a, a, an example of how that could have gone differently, where the devil could have, you know, influenced my dad to then influence me. Perfect, perfect yeah. example. Or if if you are in a particular religious situation where you have a fear, your own fear of, let's say, heaven or hell, just yep. bring it out there, right? And you're like, I don't want to go to hell because of this, this, and this. Well, obviously, you're going to tell your children that. And if yeah. you believe that there is a devil that's waiting for you there, then you're going to tell your children, hey, don't do this, this, and this because it's bad and the yeah. devil's going to be waiting for you when you die. So don't do that. So the devil says in the book, he's like, thank you. Yep. <laughs> because you just already instilled the fear of me and a child's heart who doesn't yep. even understand anything, but he understands that yep. because you told him that when they were three years old. Yeah. So he's like, thank you for being my minion and helping instill the fear of anything, especially him. Yep. And so again, that this, this book, you, you got to put it down and go, whoa, yep. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And he really does his work in what he calls drifters. So that's yes. what he first gets people to do is drift. Mm -hmm. And so he he says those are a drifter is one who permits himself to be influenced and controlled by circumstances outside of his own mind. And he would rather let me occupy his mind and do his thinking than go to the trouble of thinking for himself. A drifter is one who accepts whatever life throws at him in his way without making a protest or putting up a fight. He doesn't know what he wants from life and spends all of his time getting just that. A drifter has lots of opinions, but they are not his own. And most of them are supplied by me, i.e. E. the devil. And again, I shake my fist at him. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> thinking, I mean, be thinking of times where I have drifted and mm -hmm. again, catching myself in a moment because I've read this book multiple times. So this is to me, yeah. this is not a one-time read. I've been reading it every 12 weeks since 2018. So yeah. every time I read it again, I'm just like, <gasps> you know, because again, you know, these things, but then you forget you go about yeah. life because again, 98% of the people are under his control, according to this situation and 2% are non-drifters. So I try to stay in the non-drifter zone, but because the devil's so busy and he's got so many minions, <laughs> you yeah. know, it keeps me on my toes. Right. Yeah. So this is huge. But here he also says, or the little equation um, that Sharon kind of talks in here in a little annotation is laziness plus indifference equals procrastination okay which equals drifting you yep. know? so it's like don't be lazy 
make a decision so that you don't procrastinate because as soon as you start doing that, you are drifting the devil just all, ha ha. Yeah. You know what and I mean? And I just have visions of him like with his feet up on a desk, just like smoking a cigar. Like, yeah, got him. Got him. <laughs> <laughs> and that's another reason why I get so frustrated because I'm like, ooh, I just want to defy him because he is, because I see him like that too. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, I don't want to let him win in that way. Right. Yeah. And so again, it's very interesting here. So this conversation between the drifters and for those of you who are wondering, yes, he tells you all the things that his tricks are, but mm-hmm. also if you understand what he's saying, he's also telling you how to avoid his tricks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so he's, he's doing both and, but you got to see it for that, for that as well. Um, because it's done in a very cool way than he, this is a masterful book, how he wrote this masterful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I almost wish he had written maybe a novel or something like a, you know, like mm. a story. He's it's a good like story a novel, tell. actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so written in a really cool way. So there really are seven principles and the devil gives those up on how to mm-hmm. not drift. And, yes. um, so let's go through those. So the first sure. one is definiteness of purpose. Mm-hmm. That is basically, you know, and he talks about this in Think You Grow Rich as well. It starts out mm-hmm. with desire. Yeah. It's the idea that you have to know what you want. Yeah. And I'm going to say there's a differentiator here from the why statement. People often, and Simon Sinek, Sinek is so great for saying, start with why. Mm-hmm. I don't agree. And it was based on a lot of this reading that had me really kind of understanding that. It start with what. Yeah. In my opinion, that's the definiteness of purpose. It's not why you want the thing. What what is the purpose? Not why the purpose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's what is the purpose? What is it that you want mm-hmm. that you can see clearly? Yeah. And if you don't have that, then you are automatically drifting because you have no purpose. You are indifferent. Yes. Yeah. And, right? and they talk a lot about decision in here. And he talks mm-hmm. about that in his emergency. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really having that purpose and knowing where you're going, there's always a gap there. You know, when you think about goals, if you had it, there wouldn't be a gap. And there's always a gap. Like you may be missing Mm. money or you may not have the ability to do this, but knowing where you're going is the first way not to be drifting. And then the second way is mastery over self. And he (laughs) talks about the president at the time when this book was written and how the president, how are they going to, uh, you know, help us if they can't even control their emotions? Emotional intelligence, right? Uh (laughs) And I will have to add as a behaviorist, um, you have to understand yourself before you can master yourself. (laughs) So you have to start with self-awareness. And this is the Mm -hmm. thing that even Napoleon Hill, while he talks about that, he can't help you with that. Yeah. And, you know, people from stages say you need to know who you are, understand who, why you're special, understand what your gifts are. And then you need to be able to master your own emotions and your own state of being, because if you f- feel like you're doing something that's going to spin you out, you need to recognize that and bring yourself back in. You know, yeah. you've got to master the things that you may do in excess, you know, intemperance in certain areas. Right. And so without being able to do that, then you won't really be able to do all the other things. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And then we talked about this one, learning from adversity, because we yeah. know that there's an equal from adversity. There's an equal rebound and opportunity yes. there. Yeah. The bigger the problem, the bigger the solution and the bigger the reward at the end of that. If you work it that way, right? Think You think about, okay, the pandemic as an example. Mm-hmm. Adversity, sure. Yeah. But everyone handled it differently. Some people thrived, some people survived. Some people didn't do either of those things, right? But me, I looked at it like, well, okay, this thing is happening. I've never been through this in my whole life before ever, but neither has anyone else. So how do I figure out a way to, whenever it ends, because I, my mind was always like it was going to end at some point. So whenever it's over with, where am I going to be at? So I looked at it and really worked through that situation to go, how can I not only survive during this, but how can I thrive during this? And who needs help? Yeah. And that I can help because we all need help right now. And yeah. I have a gift, you know, so you can sit and be like, woe is me. Oh my gosh. I don't know what to do. Indifference and drift 
or you can become a non-drifter by figuring out what you what you're going to do in that moment of adversity mm-hmm. and figuring out what that opportunity is because it could be the same size. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? He uses the example of in the depression there was a car dealer named Samuel something mm-hmm. I don't remember his mm-hmm. last name. Yeah. He he had like 9 million dollars in the depression, which is significant. Mm-hmm. He lost it all. Henry Ford on the other hand did not and rebounded and came, you know, I, we know the car dealership today. I, not the same. Well, not uh, only the car dealership, the cars the, the car, that we drive. The cars, yeah, <laughs> car dealership, but yeah. All the cars. The cars, <laughs> yeah, the empire. Um, mm. But I think about in, in my lifetime that adversity and opportunity, it's a smaller scale example, but between Blockbuster and Netflix. Bingo. I mean, Blockbuster was like, nope, we are a store and we have these little cassettes. Who are they to mail these discs all over? That's ha, ha, ha. Crazy. They were laughing all the way to the bank. They'll never Streaming get in stuff. Now they're Blockbusted. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> there was an opportunity there. They just completely blew it. Yeah. <laughs> they had a little bit of, of adversity, new things coming on the market, and they're gone. And they're gone. That's a great mm-hmm. example. <laughs> uh, the next one is controlling environmental influence. Mm. He, he talks a lot about the people that we associate with. Right. And really controlling, you know, who we let into our lives and especially those close connections like spouse, like a spouse that we yeah. take on and our mm-hmm. friends and really knowing how to. And I, I, I found it interesting that he uses Napoleon Hill uses the word controlling environmental influence, but it, it really is that like, it, it's exactly that it's in, And so why would that be is because you get to kind of decide, Yeah, <laughs> you get to choose where you live, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to live in, I'm in Arizona. I don't have to live here. I could, I could buy a ticket and get on a plane and go somewhere. <laughs> You know, I don't have to live in the neighborhood I'm living in. I don't have to live in the house I'm living in. And then in in my house, it doesn't have to look this way. I can pick all that. Right. So you do get to control a lot of those things. But sometimes we think, oh, well, no, I I grew up in this neighborhood and we're never getting out of this neighborhood. Yeah. Well, I I have a quote of my own, which is your self-fulfilling prophecy will either limit you or liberate you. So if you think that we're never getting out of this neighborhood, you ain't getting out. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so but if you're like, well, I can find a way to move out and the devil just lit his cigar (laughs) just lit his cigar he's like yep and then with the people right and some people will Mm -hmm. will say because there's some people some of you listening to us right now going well I can't control my family they're my associations I can't control my spouse or whatever well yes you can (laughs) by the way yes you were born into a certain family but do you have to associate with them in such a way where you allow it to control your life? Mm-hmm. And if there are negative influences, or maybe you can limit your association if you can't completely disassociate and you yeah. still could completely disassociate if you wanted to, but you have fear of yep. what will happen if you do. Yep, exactly. <laughs> you know, you're Some people out there listening are going to the same church right now that they wish they didn't have to go to. And they feel like they're going to feel too guilty if they leave, mm-hmm. but you could leave. You're some yeah. of you are in relationships that you feel the same way about. You work at a job you feel the same way about. So yeah, he says controlling and I he means that because we yeah. do choose those associations. Yeah. Birds with feather flock together, right? You, you tell yeah. your kids that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next one is time. And and he mm. says giving permanency mm. to positive rather than negative thought habits and developing wisdom. This and so this is where I gotta read a quote. Yeah. I got to read it from out of here because him and Napoleon, the devil are having a conversation about wisdom in this conversation of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're talking about drifters and, and non-drifters, right? And, and how do you gain wisdom? So Napoleon asked, what is wisdom? And this mm-hmm. quote right here, I need everyone to listen very closely to this. Is, this to me is the culmination of the whole book, I think. Wisdom is the ability to relate yourself to nature's laws so as to make them serve you and the ability to relate yourself to other people so as to gain their harmonious, willing cooperation in helping you to make life yield whatever you demand of it. Mm -hmm. So using nature's laws, which are irrefutable, 
Yeah. They're nature's laws. They do not change. Okay. Yep. There's a hypnotic rhythm to nature's laws, but understanding how to relate yourself to nature's laws to make them serve you and relate yourself to other people. Cause you're not here alone to yep. have them collaborate and cooperate with you in a mastermind of some kind for harmonious gain that is going to help you get what you have decided you want for life from life. But if you don't even know what you want from life, you're already drifting. Yeah. And that's so, number one. <laughs> yeah, that's number one. And, and then he says, people are not born with wisdom. They're born with the capacity to think. And they may through lapse of time think their way into wisdom. So what he's saying is it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't mean you're wise. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So wisdom doesn't come with age. He says wisdom is yeah. something completely different. And that's where I wanted to point out that idea of time. The fourth dimension is what he calls it. So, well, and, and you know, those people that people will say, oh, they're wise beyond their years. And that really comes from this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then exactly. the, the next one. So this is number six, harmony. Number six. Yeah. Acting with definiteness of purpose to become the dominating influence in your own mental, spiritual and physical environment. And that's what you're really talking about is having harmony with the things that are coming about and being able to, like, as people would say today, manifest things. You know, people say, well, I yeah. manifested that. I brought that into my life. You know, one one of the examples in the book was uh, somebody giving away money in the depression and said, well, mm -hmm. more will come around. And that person had didn't have any more. <laughs> he gave away his last penny and it did come around. And it came back around. Another yeah. thing he talks about here is, is harmony, you know, being in, in, in sync and how people can be in harmony with each other. But the key thing I... I kind of was taken aback by when I read it in here and I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Is that harmony is not always a positive thing. Yes. Meaning har harmony doesn't always create a positive experience. People yes. can get together in harmony and, and plan and mastermind to do bad things. Yeah. They're in harmony, <laughs> you know, yeah. but they're in harmony for a negative gain versus harmony for a positive gain. So harmony it's what you decide that it's going to be, but know that when things are harmony, it may, it's not necessarily always mean for good. Yeah. It can be harmonious for something else as well. Yeah. So you have to, you have to think about, well, cause you might be in harmony with doing the, the wrong, the same bad habit over and over and over and over and over again. You're in harmony with that, but it's hurting you. Yeah. So it's like making you think about, well, where is that hypnotic rhythm is something he talks about in here. And it's like, that could be a good thing or a bad thing, but either way, it's going to happen. Yeah. So yep. you want to control that. And then the seventh principle is caution, thinking through your plan before you act. And back to that Samuel guy who lost all his money, um, you know, he didn't think through his plan. He was greedy and and not really thinking through that. But the flip side of that is he also cautions you about not sitting there thinking too much because you're in fear. So it's right. a, it goes back to harmony. It's that balance of, have mm -hmm. I thought this through enough? Am I ready to move forward? Or am I right. stuck in fear because I might be afraid if I publish this book, people will think I'm need to go, uh, somewhere else. <laughs> right. If I'm not making a decision yeah. because of caution, yeah. because then I'm now I'm drifting and indifference, yep. you know, and I'm procrastinating. So there is a balance there. Don't just go jump off the cliff, have some kind of plan to fashion a parachute out of your parachute out of your scarf or something. Yeah. You know, even if you don't take a parachute, at least take a scarf, you know, or something. Yeah. Right. And so that that's kind of how I think about, cause I'm someone who's fairly risky and I sometimes throw caution to the wind. Um, and this has taught me to be more organized in my plan and make me stop and really think, okay. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm compelled behaviorally to behave a certain way, but I know I've got to pull back. And this reading stuff like this helps me with those reminders. That's why I read it every 12 weeks, because again, mm -hmm. some of these things I've mastered if you talk about self-mastery some of them I have but not mm -hmm. all of them yeah and so it's a, a continuous thing because to me it's about the journey of my life not necessarily the destination mm -hmm. reading books like this especially this book is is really again mm -hmm. something I, I live by this principles in here because I know they work and the last thing I'm going to mention is I think it's really cool if you're going to read this book to know that you know especially if you're familiar with the book like Think and Grow Rich is that he says in here well I I had the formula yeah for achievement, but I was stuck in this emergency and I needed to basically 
practice what I was about to preach to yeah. see if it actually worked. And if it did, then I would print it and share it with the world. But he said to himself, if, if I won't do it myself, yeah, then how on earth am I going to tell someone else that they should and that it should work? So to me, that was a lesson for me as a behavioral scientist and a behavioral coach. And what I do, I teach personal development, mindset, growth. I teach that stuff. So to me, I look at it. He, he reminded me of that. Yeah. Kenyatta, are you doing the things that you are actually trying to teach other people to do? It's not perfect every day. And I don't expect that anyway. I just strive for excellence. So, yeah. and, and so I appreciated and respected him for that in yeah. here, because again, I took that to my, to um, on my own, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And I really, I really think that this is a book that everybody should read at least once a year. At, yeah, least at least once a year minimum. Um, this is like a reference material book. Um, but I do have a one question for you before we close. Uh, mm -hmm. If you had the chance to ask the author of this book one question, what would it be? He talks in this book about the other self, mm -hmm. which in my interpretation is what happens when one you 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 connect with the other self in moments of meditation. Mm -hmm. Now he doesn't use the word meditation in here. And if he, if he does use it, it's only once because he doesn't speak about it in that way. But I, I truly believe that he was speaking in here about how he learned about how to be still mm -hmm. and to be intentional and to, to just let yourself get into a state of high vibration where you can connect with whatever it is you call it, God, infinite intelligence, source, or whatever, this thing yeah. that's bigger than all of us, I feel like he was able to connect with that and it started downloading into him this other self, this voice that we sometimes hear where we hear like, yeah. go left, not right. And we're like, ah. Where'd that come <laughs> from? Who said that, <laughs> you know? So I feel like it's about that. Like, ultimately, I think this is what the whole thing really is about, is about yeah. what are you hearing when you get in that stillness and meditate, which is what we call it today. So I would ask him, like, just flat out, like, were you meditating? Like, when you came up with, like, you know, what is meditation to you? And is this what this is really all about? Which mm -hmm. is being in your own head and understanding what's really going on and how much you control, is that a form ultimately of meditation that that yeah. you do that puts you in connection with being able to answer these questions for yourself? Because he came up with that. He's having a conversation, but who told him the answers? You can believe yeah. whatever you want. But was it one of those moments where you are in the shower, let's say, and you're taking a shower and all, I don't know if you ever get ideas in the shower, but I do. And I'm just all, oh, that's what I'm going to do, right? Is that me having asked a question that the devil or his opposing force, he calls him in here, yeah. um, answer? Who answered? I don't know. So it's really about, I just want to know, tell me about this, this meditation and this connection with this force unseen. Yeah. What is that really about? So were, I just were wanted... you meditating? Were you drunk? Were you dreaming? Yeah. Were you talking you know? to yourself? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to, I want to dig in a little bit, you know, into that conversation. So I would want to ask the author, obviously this book wasn't published until after he passed as well as his wife. Mm. I would want to ask the author what stopped him from mm. publishing it anyway. Yeah. Why, why did he listen to his wife or was there other things that he was fearful of? Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe she was scary, but maybe there was something scarier than her. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Cool. That, that, well, that's a great question. Bold Goal Crushers, if you want to join us for the live discussion of the book club, we will be discussing this book on December 19th. This is our December book, and we'd love to have you in the live discussion. Please feel free to join us. Go to sarahmayer.com slash join book club. You will be able to pose all your questions. We have a great group. You'll love it. So you can get all that information at sarahmayer.com slash join book club. Our um, Next book is after this, the 12 week year. Ooh, mm -hmm. I love that's it. That's our, that's our January book. And um, so if you haven't picked up that book, definitely get that book and get going. And Kenyatta, if everybody loved this conversation and wanted to work with you, how could they find you and what could they expect? 
Oh my gosh. I'm an outgoing, fast-paced influencer. That is my behavioral <laughs> style. That's what you can expect from me. Okay. <laughs> oh, and by the way, your host, Sarah, is an initiator. So um, I'm a behavioral scientist, like I mentioned earlier, and I work with people to help them understand their behavioral uh, superpower styles, right? I say how you do anything behaviorally is how you do everything. So um, if you want to work with me or learn more about your behavioral style, I'm not talking about personality. This ain't that. This is something deeper because you'll process and handle this book how you're wired to do it. So that's what I teach you. You can find me on all the socials at Kenyatta Turner. Freedom Empire Consulting is my um, coaching business, speaker, trainer, um, but I'm also the co-founder of Dream Smart Academy, now Dream Smart Behavioral Solutions. And actually you can find us online as well. So on Instagram and all that, I would love to talk to you, love to give you an opportunity to discover your behavioral superpower style, because how you do anything behaviorally is how you do everything. I love it. And you can check that out in the show notes. So all oh, right. Oh yeah, in the show notes. Yeah. All right, bold goal crushers. It's time to not only set and crush your bold goals, but now you need to tackle what's going on with your conversations with the devil. So definitely check out the book and we look forward to seeing you at book club. Thank you for tuning in to the Bold Goal Crusher podcast where we crush goals and everything that gets in the way. I always love to support my community, so feel free to text the word GOAL to 480-530-5368. Again, 480-530-5368 and the word GOAL. And then tell me all about your goals and dreams. Thanks for tuning in. I look forward to seeing you crush your goals this year.